Good morning, good morning. How are you guys doing? Good. For those that are joining us, my name is John. I'm one of the pastors here. And, and we're going through the book of James. And we're going to be looking at the second half of the chapter from verses 14 to 26. So if you have your Bibles, if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles uh, on the, right at the entrance here for you to take home. Uh, make a Bible your own copy. It's our gift to you. Um, I also want to mention uh, just the Good Friday service is going to be in person. It's going to be in the evening. Uh, just it's, it's a quick service. Usually we, we just go through and, and sit through and have communion together and, and really remember what Jesus has done on the cross for us. And so Good Friday service will be in person, um, and it's going to be here on Good Friday evening starting at, I believe, at 8. All right. But before we get into it, I just want to make mention of my sermon last week on partiality. Uh, in many ways, I expressed my own political opinion in, in a way that may have caused some division. And I just want to apologize for speaking in a way where it perpetuates a partial view. So know that what I shared and what I ranted about is my own opinion as a man and not the opinion of the church. And so I just want to make, make that clear and I just want to apologize for anyone that may have offended or felt like I was causing any division. So with that, let's get into the scripture of today, uh, the second half of James. But before that, let's pray. Father God, we just come before you and know that we sit under your grace and that as we look into your word today, that we understand just the spirit that is within these verses. So, Father God, we just come before you and we ask for your spirit to come and move these words through our hearts and not just for us to understand, but that it moves us in a way that we are ambassadors of your great love. So, Father God, we thank you, we love you, we give all praise and all worship and all glory to you, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Martin Luther is known for starting the Protestant movement about 150 years ago. It is in it that he solidified what we know today as Reformed theology, but in so many ways, Luther struggled with a passage that we're looking at today in James chapter 2, to a place where Martin Luther wanted to take the book of James out of the, the, out of the canon and says this should not be part of the canon of the Bible. You see, Luther was very much influenced with Paul's writing, and he formed so much of his theology in what was written in both Romans and Ephesians that similar to many of us, we start to read Paul's epistles and Paul's letters and Paul's words into James, and then that's where we find the conflict. Where is the conflict and why is it controversial? Well, to be honest with you, I really don't think now, today in the modern church, that we really see it as a controversial issue. But I wanted to point it out anyway so that we know as a church where that history comes from, where that foundation comes from. And what made it so hard for Luther? So this is it. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says this. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. 
We're very familiar with this passage, right? For those that have been Christians for a very long time, we see and hear this, this passage time and time again. We understand it. We preach it. We know that it is only through the grace of God that is given that, that, that we, are, we have salvation, that we cannot earn our salvation. However, in James 2, the passage that we're looking in today says this. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Nope. What good is it, my brothers, if anyone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save them? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also by faith itself, it does not have works, is dead. So here's the controversy. If you read what is just on the surface... It feels as if these two verses contradict each other. It feels as one is saying, it is not by works, but by grace through faith. And the other one says that faith in itself, does, what, that does not have work, is dead. So on the surface, it feels like, oh, these two verses actually don't go together. And it seems to me that James and Paul need to sit down together and hash this out and figure this out. But this is the same if we take scripture and we just drop into it, it's like if we were to drop into a movie or a show without knowing the context, the character, or the narrative of what's happening. I like to watch, when I get a chance to watch a movie when the kids are down, sometimes Steph and I, will, we're pretty busy, so on the odd night that I do get to watch a movie, I'll watch it by myself and Steph will just drop in. She'll drop in halfway through the show or halfway through the movie. And Steph thinks I have very poor taste in, in what I watch. She often comes in and she's like, well, this, this movie doesn't make any sense or the show doesn't make any sense or whatever is I'm watching because she has zero context to the characters. She doesn't know the character development. And she usually comes in at the climax of a movie where it's usually some epic battle and she's just confused. She doesn't know who's good, who's bad, I like to watch a lot of Marvel Universe stuff. And if you know Marvel Universe, there's a lot of cross-functioning characters going and, and even changing characters from like good to bad uh, or bad to good. And so she, she'll, she'll drop in on these movies like, wasn't that person a bad, bad guy in that movie? Why is he fighting for the good side now? And, and so it's very confusing. She, that's why she also thinks that my movies are ridiculous. This is the same when we read the Bible, when we take one or two verses from here and there, and we place them beside each other. And now we're looking at these two verses and saying that they're saying two completely different things, and we get people who just start to throw out everything because what they see here seems stupid. How are we supposed to believe this is true when the verses contradict each other? Well... In the context of both of these texts, we need to see that Paul and James are actually writing about the same thing. And it actually doesn't conflict or contradict, but it actually complements each other. These letters, first of all, was written about 20 years apart. James is written about 40 AD, and Ephesians is written about 62 AD. And 62 AD is actually around the same time that James was martyred. And very much like the church today, the church probably had very similar theological struggles in which why these letters in the New Testaments are written. 
the letters in the New Testament were written to encourage and to exhort the church, right? To exhort the church to press in, to press into the gospel because the early church was being persecuted. They were in a place where, where nobody, the government didn't trust them, nobody trusted them, and they were being persecuted for their faith. And so the church needed to figure out how do we live the way that Jesus has commanded us to live and how do we be the church that Jesus has called us to be? And so with this 20-year difference, we get into a place where we see the swing of what is authentic living, of living out of the Bible and what the Bible, and understanding the theology and the orthodoxy of, of, of the Bible. So this pendulum swing actually happens throughout the history of the church. I've been in ministry for 20 some odd years now. I've seen this swing many times. When I first started into seminary, where there was a swing towards orthodoxy and to spiritual practices. It was in a place where it was all about spiritual disciplines, and all the focus was on spiritual disciplines. We, this, this is really going to date me, because seminary for me was like 2005, 2006. And so that's almost 20 years ago. But it was in a place where everybody was getting so into, like, how do we, how do we cultivate our spiritual practices and disciplines. We were getting into like the, the, how, do, how do the monks worship? How do the monks study liturgy? And we, we went and visited the Taze monks and we, we did all these prayer vigils and all these things of trying to increase our own orthodoxy and increase our own spiritual disciplines. 20 years later, we go back into this other swing where it's just like, oh, it's too much theology, too much head, too much thing. And we want to live authentically. We want to live out the gospel. We want to live out the word. And so we have this swing right currently where we're in this place of we need to unpack what the word actually says and then translate it to how we live. And so we're, we're sitting in this place where we're, we're deconstructing what the, the, the theology is so that we could actually be authentic in how we live. You see, the swing is a constant swing. Throughout the entire history of the church, it has the swing. And that was exactly the same swing that the, the, the early church was dealing with. So James's audience and Paul's audience in the cultural context is very different. James was speaking to a dispersed church. Remember? James chapter 1, we knew that the church was dispersed. 40 AD, the church in Jerusalem was dispersed because of persecution. They were they're spread out all around, all over the land. And James, and because of that, the early church was trying to keep the orthodoxy. They're trying to keep the theology because we're, we're, we're sojourners now. We're, we're in uncharted territory. So we need to hold on to the theology. And it gets to a place where we're holding on to the theology. And remember, this is the Jerusalem church. So the Jerusalem church was really closely tied to the Pharisees and the teachings of the Pharisees, Right? And so in that place, they're holding on to the theology, and James is like, just holding on to that is not good enough. Works needs to come with it. Whereas Paul, as Paul was writing, he's writing to the Ephesus church. Ephesus was a cultural mecca of, 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 of the time, of the Roman Empire. It was, it was a, a place where People went to Ephesus to learn. It was a port city. All different cultures came. It was the arts capital. It's a very hip city. It was what we would equivalent Ephesus to, like modern-day Vancouver or modern-day New York or Shanghai or London. It's it's like these are the the hip places, the ones that are setting the cultural mandate, where you have Christians that are living 
And they're trying to live out authentically, but because of the culture of that, you know how when you get into a very creative culture, you start trying to up one another in how we we're supposed to do things. And they get so caught up in the doing aspect that they forget about the orthodoxy aspect. And that Paul was writing to them, it's just like, remember, you don't work to gain your salvation. Salvation is given to you by grace. And so we have this pendulum swing. And like I said, this pendulum swing is not a bad thing. It's not because it helps us realign ourselves. It helps us realign what our hearts are about. Should we have a swing? No. But it's natural. I don't want us to fight it so much that we're working stuck in certain places. Right? I don't want us to, 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 to say, oh, we can't swing that way, we can't swing this way, we're, we're stuck, and you don't know where to go. Just go. Go with the church, go with the spirit, go with how, how culture flows. But at the same time, remember that this is a swing, that it goes both ways. And remember that as you swing, and to, to not react in a place where you're just like, oh, I don't, this doesn't feel comfortable. If it doesn't feel comfortable, check. Check your heart, check your spirit. What, why does it make you uncomfortable? And then look into scripture and say, where's truth into that place? That's your job, right? So the swing isn't a bad thing. Don't be afraid of the swing, but be aware of it. And this is the same thing. So when we look at James and we look at Ephesians, you can say, oh, it contradicts, but in reality, it doesn't. It doesn't contradict. And let me, let me go into this a little bit more. We have to remember that these swings is the same thing as what the Pharisees go through, in which we see bad religious people, like Pharisees in the Bible, they're always known as the bad guys, right? Right? They're all the, the, the sneaky evil. I always see them in like cloaks, and I have these, these images of Pharisees and how bad they are. But really, the Pharisees, what were they? They were people that held up the laws of the Jewish people. How bad could they actually be? Their job was, the, the entire office of what they were supposed to do was to uphold the law that was written in the Bible. But what happened is, what, is that the Pharise, Pharisees has taken it too, too far to a place where the law became greater than God. And that the law no longer allowed you to experience the presence of God. So Jesus comes against them and calls them a brood of viper, not because Jesus wasn't for the laws, because you remember Jesus says, I have not come to abolish the law, but to what? Fulfill the laws. But because what the laws were doing was the law was driving how people behave and it was not driven by the God who created these laws. That's why Jesus was speaking against the Pharisees. It wasn't because that they didn't know the truth. They knew the truth. But the, the law became greater than God, and that's why Jesus spoke against them. So we can say that neither James or Paul is missing the mark here. In fact, if we look at the passage in Ephesians 10, it goes on to say this. It says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see how he follows that up? But if you don't look at the full passage, you don't see this, right? If you don't look at the full passage, you don't see this. It says, for we are God's workmanship created in Jesus Christ for what? Good works. So in fact, Paul wasn't and isn't contradicting James, but reinforcing James because 
What Paul says in Ephesians is that we are his workmanship created for good works. So let's unpack what good works is and what James actually is saying here. Here's the thing. All of us wants to have true faith, and this is really what we're talking about here is faith. No one wants to think that we struggle with faith, yet perhaps some of our struggles may be more subtle than we would like to admit. This is what James is tackling here in chapter 2. The struggle, the real struggle here is the struggle, is the issue of faith. Two years ago, I bought myself a new iPad. It's this one that's right here. Um, it was the newest iPad on the market at the time, and I was so excited for it. I was waiting for the launch date. And I was really deliberating for a long time whether to get an iPad or a new laptop, and I ended up choosing this iPad. I even bought the keyboard and a case to protect it. It was a new investment, I thought. And, and really, I thought at this time, as a pastor and someone that's studying the words, that I, I, I have all my material things and my, my heart sorted out. That I don't focus on these materialistic things anymore. I bought an iPad, so that tells you how much <laughs> that's true. But it's, it was around the same time, so two years ago when the pandemic had started, we just found out that Steph was pregnant with Faith, and the pregnancy for, with Faith was pretty rough. And so I, I began working at home. Judah was kicked out of daycare because they shut down the daycare, and so I had Judah at home, and I'm trying to work, and Steph is throwing up and doing all her pregnancy stuff. And so at this time, Judah was just turning three, and he was very much interested in my iPad. So that summer, as we, I was working from home, Judah decided one day to take my iPad out onto the balcony. Because he's three years old and he doesn't know better, he doesn't know how much I paid into it and how much I invested into it. And a three-year-old's not very careful with things, right? So as I saw him take my iPad and I saw him walk towards the door, he trips on the door ledge and falls down, also dropping my brand new iPad onto the ground, which resulted in a cracked camera lens and a ding on my iPad, and it's still there. There's a cracked camera lens and there's a, a ding on my iPad here. As I saw that, as I dropped my iPad on the ground, I ran straight to him. I picked up my iPad first, <laughs> put it onto the bench. Quick glance over, then I pick up Judah. And in that instant, Judah says, I'm okay. And for those that know my son, he's a very sensitive boy, and he really has a very high EQ, so he knows what I'm feeling. And I look at him, and I say, it's okay. I love you more than I do my iPad. <laughs> my actions would say that that was not true. My actions and my heart would, would speak that that was not true in that moment. I may have said the right thing, but that was not true. So why would I share this story? Because I think this shows us the true nature of our true faith. Let me show you how. In James, in the same passage, it says this. It says, 
What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and be filled, without giving them the things that they need for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. The example that James here is someone that's lacking in clothing and food, that's material things. And we say to them, go in peace and be warmed and filled without giving them the things that they need for the body. What good is that? You see, in the church today, the way we see faith is this sort of this theological ascent to doctrinal logic, which goes kind of like this, like, go in peace, be warmed, be filled, but you don't actually help them to live it out. We talk about it on stage and we talk about it in our Bible studies, but we don't actually help each other to walk that out. That's just theological talk. There's nothing tangible about that. So what happens is that we give the theology, but that same theology doesn't begin to dictate, rule, or even motivate the church to really live, this, live out their faith. And James here in this passage is arguing that this is not faith. James argues for us to see faith like this is dangerous. It's dangerous for us to want a comfortable faith, an easy faith, to pride ourselves in biblical literacy and, not, and, and our theological knowledge and not understand the impact that it makes on our lives and how we live. In James' example, I think James, as I have alluded to, is arguing that faith will always result in a life of love. Let me unpack that. You see, James understands something. He understands the true nature of the gospel and the true nature of the human heart. In Ezekiel 36, it says this, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and, I, and, be, and to be careful to obey my rule. This is the nature of the gospel as a result of faith, a new heart. And it's a transformed heart that is moved and motivated by the Spirit of God with a whole new set of purposes, a whole new set of goals, a whole new set of values, a whole new set of loves, a whole new set of desires, and a whole new set of thoughts. And because of that, a transformed way of living. Where my life before Jesus was controlled by my wants, my needs, my feelings, my life is now moved and motivated by the love of God. And, by, and because of that, my love for God my love becomes my love for my neighbor. This is always the fruit of saving faith. Love. How does your love come out? Through what you say or what you do? I grew up in a Chinese household, and like most Asians, and probably the same for most Germans, because my brother-in-law tells me the same thing, my, ne my parents never said, I love you. How many Asians in this room ever heard their parents actually say, I love you? Nobody. Seriously, nobody. Oh, two, your, your parents are progressive. <laughs> they're, they're probably born here. That's true, right? Yeah. <laughs> Asian parents show their love by their actions. They show their love by their actions and what they do for me. I know that my parents love me when they serve me, when they go out of their way to put my needs before their own. 
Asian parents' love is in their works and in their actions, not in their words. Jesus says this, a good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit, right? So a tree is therefore recognized by its fruit. You know an orange tree because it produces what? Oranges. But you also instinctively know that that tree is an orange tree by design and that that orange tree is that the orange tree only has fruit because the orange tree is all the way down to its core and to its roots is an orange tree so that it could produce oranges. So Jesus is arguing that the organic consistency between what is in our heart comes out in what our words say, in our choices, in our action, and in behavior. And that's exactly what James is saying too. John argues the same thing in 1 John. He says, in, in, in the book of 1 John, he says this. He says, the one who is born of God, what? Loves. He who does not love does not know God. And so faith always results in a transformed living. And it's the epicenter of, what, of that living is living out the two great commands. What are the two great commands? To love God and to love your neighbors. Right? I love God above all else because there is a new life that is coming out of my heart. The Spirit lives within me, so I love my Lord. And because I love my Lord, I am becoming more sympathetic, more gentle, more merciful, more compassionate person. Those are the fruit of faith. As James, as he should not, has no place for faith that is somehow theological, that, that's about the theological ascent. It does not claim to be the way that you live your life. That is what James is saying and what Paul is actually reinforcing. That because of said faith in Christ for good works, it is the same message said in a different way. Verse 18, it says this, But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith. Apart from your works, I will show you my faith by my works. Again, faith is demonstrated by fruit. It is the fruit in my life, the fruit of a transformed life that assures me of God's justifying grace. James goes on and lays down three arguments, and he closes off with this. The three arguments of, is of demons, of Abraham, and of Rahab to support this perspective of the nature of faith. Look with me to the first one, verse 19, with demons. James is trying to be provocative here, right? He wants you to be provoked. So he says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? James is almost sarcastic here, saying that you believe that your faith puts your, our hope of the, into this one, one God, God of the universe. Well, even the demons believe that. He's saying that belief is not enough, that good theology is not an end to itself, but that good theology is a means to an end. If good theology does not request a radical change in the way that you live, therefore, it becomes bad theology. The church is so good at making a separation between our spoken theology and our functional theology that it causes a big disparity between the way in, in, in the way that we, we talk and the way that we live. And the way that we talk and the way that we live that becomes more and more separated. And this is where the hypocrisy of the church comes from. 
What happened when my son dropped my iPad showed me that I held on tightly to the material things of this earth. Because of what happened, when it happened, in my head, which sounded more like this, come on, why did you take my iPad? Are you stupid? Are you crazy? The fact that I even checked my iPad before I picked up my son. Even if it was just for a split second, it's embarrassing for me because it exposes my struggle of faith that is in my heart. I may have said the right thing in that moment, but my actions, my works, didn't reflect that and reflected what my heart was. Judah saw it. Even though it was a split second, he saw it. That oftentimes we need to work on what is in our hearts and what is in our actions and to do the same thing, vice versa. What our actions reflect in our heart, this isn't always the case, but James is pleading with us. So James goes on with a second argument with Abraham, and he says, starting in verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son? When he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works and the scripture was fulfilled and it says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Abraham's faith demonstrates, demonstrated itself to be justifying faith because it was accompanied by the work of transformed way of living. This is so powerful, as James uses the story of Abraham and Isaac from the Old Testament. I get convicted as a dad when I read that passage, and I think, what would I have done if God would have asked me for my son? Here's what true faith will do. It will cause you to offer the most precious thing in your life to God for a very simple reason. Are you ready for this? That you love him. Not because it's logical, not because it's practical, not because it's efficient, not because it's easy. You lay on his altar the most precious thing in your life. That's Abrahamic faith. What are the precious Isaacs in your life that you are holding on to? Then finally, James' last arguments with Rahab, it says this, and in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? He could understand what James is discussing here. What was it that Rahab did? She endangered her own life out of love for others, out of love for her friends. James argues with Abraham and Rahab as two examples of the first and second commandments of the great commandment. Abraham loved God and Rahab loved others. Then James ends with this. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Faith without works is dead. And may I propose this, that the works that James is talking about is this. It is that faith will always produce a life-changing love for God 
and a faith will always produce a life-structuring love for others. The nature of faith is changing your heart and transforming your life. So I would like to argue with Luther's stance that James contradicts what Paul has written, but that it actually reinforces our good works through a transforming work of Jesus in faith. As I titled my sermon, Faith Versus Work, I would like to finish by changing that title by saying it isn't verses, but and. It's faith and works. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you to know that your scripture is true and that your scripture speaks into our life. And Lord, that you have commanded us that as we put our faith in you, that the great commandment of love God and love others is the works that James talks about. Is that we need, in order for us to put our faith into action, that is the only time that we see true faith. So, Lord, it is not a pendulum swing that you have presented before us, but it's a, a, an act of believing in you and knowing what you've done through your Son Jesus Christ and us responding because of what you've done in our hearts and in our, in our spirit that we live out how, how Jesus lived out his life on this world. So, Lord, we thank you. We love you. We give all our worship and our, all, our, all glory unto you. And, Lord, may the actions that we, that, that we do and the actions that we, we, um, that, that we live be glorifying to you and be a represent, representation of who you are and your great love for us. So, Lord, we thank you and pray us in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, what a great word that was. John, good job. <laughs> that was awesome. Um, you know, I loved, I loved the way that John started with, you know, it, we think these things are in, in conflict and, you know, there's a, a cognitive bias they talk about that as humans, we love to put things in oppositions, especially if there's two things, we always think it has to be one or the other. And, but the reality is, is things can exist together. And as John pointed out, a lot of that comes from the context you know, James, James was speaking to a dispersed people that are under immense pressure, like I would say even we are today, to hide their faith, keep your faith internal, you know, and he's saying to them, no, you still have to act and you still have to walk out in this world, right? I mean, this is that the Jeremiah call to, you know, be a beacon in your city. And um, Paul, at the same time, is speaking into a culture where, actions became a, a social um, status thing. And so he's saying, no, it, it's not the actions that save you. It's doing God's actions. And the only way you know that they're God's actions is when God's told you to go do them. So they work in such tandem to each other. You know, as we grow in faith, our faith drives us into action because God is speaking into us the things that we need to do. And at the same time, when we do those actions, we grow in faith because we walk out the things and we're encouraged and God uses us to do some amazing things. So, you know, one of the things that I really feel that was called out is next week we're going to do this prophetic conference and it's all about understanding the words that have already been spoken. So this is where we put our feet to the road. The, the rubber to the road, if you say, is that you've been given words. 
um, or maybe you haven't and you're going to receive one or, or maybe one's still coming to you, but God has put things in your life and now we need to take the steps of action to go see how to implement these things, how to go walk these things out. Because if you look time and time again in the Bible, Rahab, Abraham were the two that Jacob used. God calls and then the person of faith steps forward. There's an action that has to take place. That action may be praying quietly in your home. It doesn't have to be a, an overt thing, but in every case, there's an action. You know, I, I always love the example of, I think Rich gave it first, but you know, if God calls you to be a worship leader and you don't know how to play guitar, God could miraculously teach you to play the guitar. It can happen, I believe it but I think it's much more likely that you are expected to go get some lessons and start learning on your own and let him work in that process. So, you know, like I said, just uh, just a word of encouragement. And I love the way John brought out both pieces into tandem, that it's it's one and the other. But, you know, just prepare this week for, for the prophetic conference and, and look at those things where God has called you out and say, okay, where haven't I stepped forward yet? Lord, we just thank you this morning. We just thank you for your presence. We thank you for your power. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy that covers our numerous sins throughout each and every day. And Lord, we just thank you that you don't desire us to, to stand still. You don't get us to a place and let us stay there, Lord, but that you constantly push us forward, that you constantly desire us to, to grow in faith with you, Lord, that, that there is no pinnacle there, that we just continue to grow day by day. And, um, and Lord, we just ask that in this week ahead that you would bless us, that you would lay on our hearts the the pieces uh, of this word and this and this this preaching from John that that we need to apply and and Lord just that yeah each and every day Lord you would just come at us little by little Lord just in in that gentle touch that only you have Lord that you would just continue to stretch us and mold us Lord and just that we would just constantly be looking to you and your son for the example of how we are supposed to act in all these little situations that come up. So Lord, we just thank you. Thank you for all that you are and, and who you will forever be. And um, we just thank you for everything. Amen. Go in blessings.